This podcast does not constitute financial or investment advice. It is for educational, general information and entertainment purposes only. Please consult with your own financial advisor before making any financial decisions. The quote, I'm going to read this quote because it's just a really good one. The quote that she used, she was watching her father who somebody offered him a 10 cent cigar, which, you know, 10 cents was much more back then. And he rejected it. And she asked why and he said, I smoke four cent cigars and I like them. If I were to smoke better ones, I might lose my taste for the cheap ones that I now find quite satisfactory. And it's a great lesson that the more luxuries you partake in, you start getting addicted to them. You're listening to Banking on Girls, the podcast that explores the importance of financial literacy for girls and young women. And I'm your host, Marina Batnuala. Join me on this journey to uncover insights and inspiration. My guest today is Mark Higgins, an author and historian with many years of experience in the financial services industry. He's working on a complete history of the financial system titled Becoming an Enlightened Investor and recently published an article in the Financial History magazine about Henrietta Green and why he says she was the best investor in US history. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Mark, I'm so interested in this story about Henrietta or Hetty Green. I didn't know much about her. I looked her up on Wikipedia and it said that she was known as the Witch of Wall Street. Mm-hmm. How did you first get interested in the story of Hetty Green? As you mentioned, I'm, I'm writing a book, The History of the United States. It's going to be published in the fall of 2023. And a, a few of the early chapters are on one of the craziest periods in U.S. history, the Gilded Age, which is you know, called roughly 1870 to 1910. And it was the Wild West on Wall Street. It was just complete corruption in financial markets. There was no there was no central bank at the time. So you had panics and crashes and depressions all the time. And I kept running into, as I, as I researched the different panics and the people that were, were ruined during these panics were very wealthy people. There was one person that just that just sidestepped it every time. And that was, uh, that was Hetty Green. And it, it's helpful to, it, it stood out more then than it would today. I mean, saw last week, some pretty bad corruption in, in the crypto market, but it is kind of more of an exception today. But after reading a lot about the Gilded Age and, and putting myself, you know, reading newspapers, I mean, it was the norm back then. The market manipulation was not illegal. Insider trading was not illegal. But Hetty Green was able to not do any of that and still succeed, not only she's the wealthiest woman, but one of the wealthiest people in the United States. So that's what really she started. She stood out as an amazing investor that accomplished it during a time when her honesty and techniques really stood out. So you think she was misunderstood? Absolutely. I mean, I know she was misunderstood and, and it's tragic. And, and that's one of the one of the reasons why I was so motivated to write this is, and if you read the article, it it kind of explains, she was categorized as the witch of Wall Street, which was entirely unfair. First of all, she was a moral person, period. But compared to the people of the era, you know, she was a saint. Yeah, I mean, I know she was misunderstood. And I, I talk about this in the article, a lot of the things that were categorized as her vices that made her the witch of Wall Street were actually strengths. She was very thrifty. Now she took it to a, an extreme, but that is a actually a very important element of being a successful investor because it enables you to weather crises. 
she was kind of char- characterized as in some uh, at some points in her life as an as an unfair lender, which was not true. She would actually lend at below market rates. So a lot of the things that she did were different, and a woman was doing it, which probably you know there was there was some animosity there. But if a man had done those things, nobody would have noticed. In fact, they probably would have been applauded. That's really interesting. And, and you know, this podcast is, is for people raising and educating girls. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about Hetty Green's childhood and, and what you think might have formed some of her investing principles in, at a later age. So she grew up in, it, it's actually interesting, I don't talk about this entirely in the article. I just figured it out because I'm writing about Silicon Valley right now. She grew up in New Bedford, which was known for its whaling industry in in the early 1800s. And she she actually came from a wealthy family that had several generations of success in the whaling industry. And the interesting thing about the whaling industry is actually a lot like venture capital. You invested in a bunch of different ships that went out and one big ship, one really good kind of find would pay for the entire fund. So it was actually a lot like venture capital. So she learned a lot from that experience. She also had a father and grandfather, her grandfather Gideon Howland, and her father Edward Robinson, who had bad eyesight. So they would have Hetty read financial newspapers to them. And, and that's how she learned about stocks and bonds. And, and she just got really, really interested in it. And her father encouraged it. She got a bank account, I think, when she was about eight years old. When she went to New York to supposedly find a husband, she would spend her time in, in kind of New York society balls and 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 try to eavesdrop on all the men uh, talking about their latest exploits on Wall Street. So, you know, she learned from her family and and she learned just by, you know, interacting with others and not ever feeling like she didn't belong, even though the message in most situations was she didn't. So you say that she was the best investor in U.S. history. When people think of the greatest investor in U.S. history, the name Warren Buffett often comes mm-hmm. to mind. Tell us why you think she was the greatest investor. You know, I mean, it's, you're splitting hairs between the two of them, to be fair. I think at the end of the day, they're probably equals in terms of skill. But what stands out about Hetty Green is she didn't have any, uh, she had both t- hands tied behind her back. She was not allowed to have a seat on the New York Stock Exchange. She couldn't serve on a corporate board. She couldn't even vote. Women couldn't vote back then. And, you know, uh, the big way to make money back then was to manipulate markets and to do insider trading. And, you know, you kind of had to be a member of the group to be able to participate in that. And she wasn't a man, so she couldn't participate in that. So she had to make money honestly. And the fact that she took, I don't know how much it was. And the thing is, it sometimes gets misquoted. So she started out with like something like $10 million dollars. Most of that was in trust where she couldn't invest it. She could only invest, I think, like a million dollars to start, which is a lot back then. Don't get me wrong. But she turned that into a hundred million dollars and she never got ruined by the panics. I mean, you had major panics where people were very wealthy. People were just completely wiped out. And she never did. It was 1873. She survived that one. 1884, 1893. And then 1907 was kind of the, the pinnacle of her experience where she saw coming for everybody, including J. Pierpont Morgan. And you say she was actually instrumental in helping the country. She was. So, and, and that's another thing that gets, you know, overlooked by her is she would step in and be a lender of last resort to, to during these crises and, and nobody credited her. I mean, she was, it's a big deal, 1907, when J. Pierpont Morgan is inviting all of the top 
financial executives, the major trusts and banks to avoid. I mean, this is like, you know, 2008, 2009, where the whole world is collapsing and, and to invite a woman there. I mean, that, that was a, That was a big deal. And that's how important she was. She was she she had cash when other people didn't. She she started predicting the panic of 1907 coming as early as 1906. They had to get they had to, they had to get J.P. Morgan, you know, to, to come out of a retreat. He was at a retreat in Richmond, Virginia. You know, a couple of days in. I mean, she saw it before everybody else, and that was exceptional. So you said she turned her fortune into 100 million. Let's put that into context for today. What what does that mean? Yeah, I mean, call it, it's hard to do, but because there are different ways of calculating the CPI and things like that. But, but the better way to look at it is the big titans of the day, probably about the same amount, maybe a little more. Uh, Cornelius Vanderbilt was another, you know, about the same amount. So she was not only a, she was the richest woman, but not only was she the richest woman, but she was among the the richest people entirely in the United States. Now the Carnegies and and Rockefellers were were above her, but that was that was a little different because they owned corporate corporations, which she wasn't allowed to do. So in terms of in the investment community, she was among the, the wealthiest. She said, when I buy things, things are low and no one wants them. And I keep them until they go up and people are anxious to buy. So that sounds a lot like value investing. Yeah. And that's something I write about in the article that Ben Graham was is kind of credited with, with inventing value investing called the, in the 20s or 30s. And Warren Buffett was actually one of his students, uh, one of his prodigy students. But all, she, she employed all the same tactics. And if I had to summarize it at a very high level, it's that she had the discipline of waiting until things, usually panic-related, when there was a shortage of money, that's when she would buy. And then when things started going crazy, like they were, about two years ago, or, or 1999, she had the insight to sell, and that. So it, it, you know, it's understanding when things are cheap and expensive relative to their intrinsic value, and that more than anything, it requires patience. You know, watching history play out, that's something you start to appreciate that things, nothing here really happens on a day to day basis, and it's those people that can see. It's almost like time dilation. People that can see well beyond what's happening in the moment that are able to have that patience to be a value investor. The thing that really differentiated her from everybody, and this is on the last page of the article, is her ability to understand the flows of the money supply. And that's something that I didn't, I didn't appreciate nearly enough until I started reading history, is that markets are much more a function of the money supply than people realize. And you're seeing that now, right? You saw in after the in the COVID stimulus, and when things started picking up, there was too much money in the system, and that caused speculation and inflation. And she had a knack for navigating that. And most people, get, Warren Buffett could do that too. Uh, there are very few people that can do that to understand the flow of money and that and and how that's the underlying force driving markets and that's what she saw in the panic of 1907 what happened in the panic of 1907 is you had it's getting into a little detail but too much detail probably but you had an earthquake and that caused disruptions in the money supply and she started to see it because she was she was always lending to different institutions and she sensed what was happening in a way that nobody else did 
Very interesting. She also said, I never speculate. That's so right. Understanding that she lived in a completely different age, what lessons can her story give parents raising children and, and especially girls in, in today's world? You know, I, I, I thought about this a lot because it's actually really hard for me to answer that. But the thing I can say about Hetty is that I thought was inspiring is she just refused to let any of that get in her way. And there was a ton of it in the Gilded Age. And she did that. She, she held back her resentment, which honestly, I give her a lot of credit for that, too, because she had a lot of people working against her and demonizing her unfairly, I thought. I guess the lesson that I took from Hetty Green is, you know, I hope I can encourage my daughter to do this, is she was always herself. She knew what she liked to do. She knew how she wanted to dress. She was a hard worker. And she succeeded not by emulating men, but by doing her own own thing. And I hope that can inspire women that you may take a long time, but if you do what you like, and, and investing is one of the things that you like, you work hard, you do it well, someday you're going to People, men are going to admire you not because you achieved what they did, but they're going to admire you because they're going to want to achieve what you did. And that was one of the things that I thought was so special about Hetty is I think I have quotes on my wall from her. She inspired me to be like her, not inspired me because she was like a man. I thought that was really cool. That's that's really great. She also said, you know, there's no secret to great fortune making. And she talked about thrift, shrewdness, and persistence. A lot of what you talked about. But all those things definitely apply today. Yeah, I mean, they definitely apply today. And it's hard to figure out which one to focus on. I I think the thrift one is probably the one that people take for granted the most. I remember someone told me this like 20 years ago that as you age and your income goes up, your lifestyle expands to meet it. And if that ever contracts, <laughs> become a problem. And that was never a problem for Eddie Green. You know, she had a nice house in, uh, I think it was in New Bedford, but she mostly lived in boarding houses while she was in New York. I mean, they weren't, it, it gets a little exaggerated. I mean, they weren't, they, they were pretty nice places for the most part she lived in, but she just didn't spend a lot. So when you had these panics, it wasn't scary to her because she didn't have any expenses. And that's a great lesson. I don't know if you need to take it to the extreme that she did, but it's a good lesson to be thrifty. And, you know, the quote, I'm going to read this quote because it's just a really good one. The quote that she used, she was watching her father who somebody offered him a 10 cent cigar, which, you know, 10 cents was much more back then. And he rejected it. And she asked why. And he said, I smoke four cent cigars and I like them. If I were to smoke better ones, I might lose my taste for the cheap ones that I now find quite satisfactory. And it's a great lesson that the more luxuries you partake in, you start getting addicted to them. And her father was a great mentor in that regard. And you could argue she took it to an extreme, but that's the lifestyle she liked. I mean, she you would interview her, people would interview her, and she said, I'm very happy. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And, and that was, a, that was a, a big source of misconceptions with her as well. Lots of great lessons for all of us, I think, today. So, Mark, thank you so much. Where can people find more information about your book and your article? So you can go, the book is going to be published in fall of 2023. I'm actually finishing the last chapters right now last really one and a half, um, but it takes a while to, to get it published. And the site is www.lightenedinvestor.com, kind of a mouthful. And the article can be found if you go to the Museum of American Finance, it's moaf.org. 
and it's right it's right on the front page mark higgins thanks so much for talking to us today thank you thank you for listening to the banking on goals podcast if you enjoyed this episode please take a moment to rate the podcast and be sure to hit subscribe or follow so you can receive notifications of new episodes you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and at bankingongoals.com.